0: We are transitioning this morning from our series on righteousness, which we just finished, uh, last week with our discussion of Christ, into our next series of words. Uh, we, we're going through a series of words on Sunday mornings. Uh, we've done—actually, uh, I have this in my notes— we've done series. first series was on God and His name and His character and some aspects of His uh, His nature. We did truth, which is uh, His word and prophecy and various things of that nature, and then righteousness. And, and of course, these sort of go together, right? They flow into one another— God's character determines truth and righteousness. It also determines wrath that we looked at several weeks ago. And last week we began looking then at the alternative to wrath, which is Jesus. Jesus is the core of this plan of how God has intended for us because of his nature, because of his righteousness. How is he intended for us to be saved? And so this week, we fully transition into salvation as a, a concept. There are many words connected to salvation. If we cannot live up to the holiness of God, what do we do about it? How has he planned for us to be saved? And so we begin with the vital concept of grace. Very exciting over there. It's all the kids all the time. My kid will after and now their kid's leaving. It's just one after the other. I sometimes think it must be like phases of the moon. Where the, the, somehow the kids are responding to the—they become like werewolves or something. I don't know. I don't understand it. Because uh, all they all tend to be upset at the same time. You ever notice that? They all tend to be upset at the same day. We must begin, of course, with grace. Grace is the beginning of God's saving work. Now, we think about grace defined. I haven't done a lot of uh, technical word stuff in these sermons. I haven't done really like Greek and Hebrew deep dives. Uh, in, in a lot of these words that we've been talking about, some of them I will, especially where the English words are much more obtuse, like propitiation, which nobody ever uses, which we'll talk about, I think, next week even. Uh, but when we think about the word grace, in the Old and New Testaments, it's closely tied to the idea of favor or kindness. Now, in English, we think about the word maybe mercy. And there is a difference, of course, between those in the original and in English. But we think about sort of this jumble of things, because grace is one of those sort of big words, right? It has a lot of different meanings depending on context. In the Old and New Testaments, tied to favor or kindness— uh, in the Old Testament, specifically, this, this phrase, she found favor in his eyes or he found favor in her eyes, right, of, of people who are uh, looked kindly upon by somebody else. That's this idea of grace. That's this word that's used. And in the New Testament, this is particularly used in the sense of favor that is undeserved. That is, I have a favor towards you or I feel good towards you. Not because you're so awesome, but because of my generosity, or I feel goodness or kindness towards you because I just want to. That idea of gift. The word is used in a couple of different ways. Uh, of uh, One is an attribute or characteristic of Yahweh. He is gracious, that is full of grace. Another is grace as a gift and means of salvation. We're going to talk about this phrase later on saved by grace. That phrase that comes up actually was read for us by Steve uh, just a moment ago. And then this last way that grace is used, at least in the New Testament, which we will not focus on much today. I do not like this new thing, I've decided. It keeps falling down. Uh, We will not focus on this particular uh, aspect today. We will later on. The word grace is used often as an empowerment of Christian living, the gifts of grace. Each one has as each one has received a gift, let us use them, right? The gifts of grace is used to describe not salvation and not a characteristic of God, but talents and abilities and things that we've been given that we use in service to God. Uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about that more in another series later on. We're gonna focus on the connection of grace to salvation today. And we first must understand that the existence of any, and I I think I have this underlined, I don't know how easy it is to tell with this font particularly, but the existence of any method of salvation at all comes from His grace. I've, I've thought a lot about different ways to say this. The existence of salvation is grace. When we think about God's nature, we've talked about this at length, his righteousness, is holiness, leading to judgment and justice and wrath. That is all within keeping of God's nature, right? Because of who he is, because of what sin is, because of what sin represents, because of his perfection and holiness. The sort of standard thing might be judgment and wrath and destruction. And it still will happen, right? We know that it will happen. But God's gracious nature, his grace existing at the same time as his justice and his wrath, his mercy at the same time as his righteousness, compels him then to offer a method of salvation. And we're not talking about today the method of salvation. We're not talking about that. That is the steps or the means or the, the mechanics of how a person is saved. That is not what we are discussing. We are discussing the mere existence of any plan at all. Second Timothy 1, 8-10. Second Timothy 1, 8-10. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested or made known through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, I should say, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, a couple of things to unpack here. He saved us, not because of our own works, but because of his purpose and grace. His offer of salvation, which what? He gave in Christ Jesus before the ages began. What does that mean before the ages began? That is, this was always the plan that Jesus would come and die and offer this salvation to us, which has now been manifested through the appearing of Jesus. I like this phrase. The plan was always, I'm going to save these people. These people that I've created that rebel against me, that do not do what I want, I will save them. That was always the plan before the ages began. But the plan has been made known and manifested. It's been shown to us through the appearing of Jesus Christ. And we talked about Christ last night, or last week, the anointed one the one who would come, the one that everybody was waiting for. This is the guy who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Again, not because I'm so great, not because I'm so awesome, not because I deserve it, but because God is gracious. His purpose was to save me. Regardless of my actions, regardless of what I do, His purpose was To send Jesus to die for me. That's happened already. And so we think about the idea of grace or being saved by grace. And this is the the idea I really want to hone in on. You are saved by grace, not as a description of method, that is, grace saves you. But as a description of opportunity. It is gracious that God has given you the opportunity to be saved. Through his son, Jesus Christ because of course we must understand the undeserved nature and we think about the word grace particularly as it's used in the new testament as un and you may have heard this definition before unmerited favor that is favor that is undeserved right romans 3:24 through uh, 21 through 24 but now the righteousness of god has been manifested apart from the law the law would be deserved favor perhaps merited favor Right? When we think about the law. If I do what the law says, then I get what the law says. That's, that's the very, it's a meritocracy in the, in the extreme. God says, do this. And if I do this, I get the reward. And what's the reward? Well, he, in, in their context, it was the blessings of being in Israel and the good crops and the victory in battle and all those different things. But of course, going along with that, if I'm going to be righteous according to the law, then that means what? When I break the law, then what happens? Then I get the punishment and the wrath, and the destruction. That's the meritocracy. So the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because under the meritocracy, I deserve what? Wrath. Because all have sinned and fallen short. I've fallen short of his glory. So when it says I am justified by his grace as a gift, the very idea that there is a way for me to be justified, the very opportunity that there's any plan at all by which I could avoid the, the just judgment of wrath is the gift, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 14 through 17, yet death, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who are sinning, uh those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam and i want you to notice as we read this how many times the phrase free gift comes up who is not t- was a type of the one who was to come but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass that is adam's sin much more of the grace of god and the free gift by the gr- that grace of that one man jesus christ abandoned to many For the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Okay, what is all this saying? This is complicated. Adam sins. I've often thought about this. Technically, it's Eve. But of course, he's using Adam because Adam. once Adam sins, now all humans have sinned. Have you ever thought about that? What if Eve sins and then Adam's like, no, get away from me. I don't want you. Would God have just like started over? Sorry, Eve, I'm making a new one. I don't know. I've I've often wondered about that. But Adam, once Adam has sinned, now all humans have sinned. So I think he's using this here, right? Through Adam, the transgression of Adam. Now everybody is a sinner. Every human that exists. Now it's only two people. But we know it's going to be every person. Every person in perpetuity. That's what he says. Through the transgression of the one, many have died. All have died. Through his transgression. Now all humans are sinners and full of transgressing and deserving of death. And then of course, we have the one man. The contrast through Jesus, the free gift. Whereas in Adam, all become sinners. Now all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now through Jesus, the free gift abounds to many. Not a free gift. The free gift, of course, contrasted with the deserved thing. The deserved thing, because of my trespass, is death. Because Adam trespassed, he died. Not immediately. But he was sent out of the garden to work to the earth, and then he dies after that. And then, of course, all who follow die. The free gift, contrasted with the deserved judgment, the free gift of the grace of God is that he came and he did the one thing that nobody had ever been able to do. Not Adam, not Eve, not anybody. Be perfect. Live a sinless life. And so he could have kept that for himself. I'm so awesome and I'm so great. And he could literally say this because he was so awesome and so great. I don't deserve to die, so I don't think I'm going to die which is exactly what he wanted, right? He says in the garden, please do not make me do this. I don't want to die. But he offers the reward for that perfect life, not to the ones who deserve it, himself, but to the ones who do not deserve it, the rest of us, the free gift of Jesus Christ. Being saved by grace, and I'm going to keep saying this over and over. What does it mean to be saved by grace? is not a description of methodology, that is, the means by which we are saved. That is a description of opportunity. That is, there is an avenue by which you may be saved. And the very existence of that avenue, the very existence of any sort of plan by which we might come to salvation, the very fact that that opportunity exists for me, is the foundational act of God's grace. Because I don't deserve it. I deserve wrath. I deserve judgment and destruction. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Steve didn't read this part. We'll begin with this part. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, because what through Adam all have died, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, Like the rest of mankind, this is the expected state. Given God's holiness and justice and righteousness and fairness, wrath is the result, right? By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is the normal thing. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Because God is gracious towards you. He has allowed you to be saved instead of faithing the wrath. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. What are the immeasurable riches of his grace? His grace is not just that you don't have to face the judgment. That would be great. And if it were that alone... That the grace is just that I don't have to face hell. That'd be enough, wouldn't it? Oh man, that'd be enough. Right? If it was just, okay, you don't have to go to hell. You can just be destroyed forever and not experience anything ever again. But it's not that. It's, it's more than that. The immeasurable riches of his grace is not just that I am not facing the judgment and the consequence, but that I'm actually getting something better and getting something positive and getting something awesome, something that is immeasurable. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Nothing that we did or would ever do was enough for Jesus to die for us. It is the gift of God. Nothing that I ever do will compel Jesus to have died for me. Let me rephrase that. Under the system of law, which is, this, what, this is what this is contrasted with, right? If I follow these six things, then Jesus has to do this. That, that's not how this works. There's no combination of actions that I could take that would mean Jesus has to die for me as a matter of fairness. It was never going to be fair that Jesus died for you. You do not want Fairness. You do not want justice. You want the opposite of that, which is grace. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you can see the words that are connected here, right? The words that are all going together in the nature of God. Mercy, love, grace, and kindness. Just as much a part of God's character as holiness, righteousness, justice, and wrath. God is a jumble of things that should be contradictory. Should be contradictory. And and somehow the paradox of God's infinite nature, right? Because he is both fair and just, and also merciful and gracious. He is holy and And righteous. And at the same time, He is kind and merciful. And so it is His kindness and His grace that offers the gift of salvation. Not because we are so great, not because we are so awesome, not because we deserve it, but because He loves us enough to do it. And it was offered by what? Through The one man, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life to justify, not justify, to satisfy the wrath of the Almighty. That he died so that I don't have to. That he underwent this horrible thing so that I do not need to expect that, so that I can have this gracious gift of salvation. So as we offer the invitation, a thing that I hear sometimes is that I'm not good enough. I don't don't want to be a part of the church, or I, I feel like God could never forgive me because I'm not good enough. Well, yeah, you're not good enough. That is exactly the point. If you feel like you don't deserve God's forgiveness, congratulations, you're right. You don't. None of us do. Doesn't matter what I've done. Maybe I haven't murdered somebody. To be clear, I have not murdered somebody. But the murderer is no less lost or no more lost than me. Right? I'm not any less lost than that, whoever that is that did that. I deserve to die. The grace of God is that I don't have to. And so as we offer the invitation, no matter what is in your past, no matter what things you've done, no matter how many people you've hurt, no matter how many lies you've told, no matter whatever you've done, I don't don't know what's in your life. God knows it, and he sent Jesus to die for you nonetheless. Because he loves you, and because he is gracious.